Welcome to the Tortoise Shack and a very Merry Christmas to you all and Happy Holidays to everybody listening to this podcast. The Tortoise Shack has had a great year this year. We've covered all four corners of the planet on every subject you could possibly think of. Tony has put mammoth work in in the background to make sure that this all ticks over as smoothly as it does. We'd like to thank you, our listeners, for being patrons for the year. And we really do appreciate everything you do for us. Your ideas, your guest ideas, your ideas for having podcasts, what subjects we could cover. It all means a a very lot to us. I'd like to wish everybody who's not here in the country a happy Christmas and who's listening to this. We have listeners as far flung as, as uh, Uganda, as Tony will tell you. We have, we have listeners all over the world. And it's really lovely to know that these, these podcasts are reaching places that other podcasts don't. So I'd like to take the, the opportunity to say thank you once again. And this is a lovely podcast I did with my dad and it's especially for you for this Christmas. Thanks again. Hello and welcome to the Tortoise Shack podcast. My name is Mark McMahon and today I'm going to do a very special cup podcast. This time it's with my father, my dad, Joe McMahon. And Joe is 83 years of age. Say hello, Joe. Hello. Now the reason I'm going to talk about my dad is because my dad came from city farmers. That's what they were, city farmers in Glasnevin. And the reason I found this out was just lately I was saying to my dad, I'll have to get the fire chimney cleaned. And he said, oh, we had a fire in Botanic Avenue and it nearly set the hay barn on fire. And I thought, a hay barn in Botanic Avenue. And I know where my dad used to live in Botanic Avenue. It's almost right across from Fagan's Pub. Anybody who's old enough will remember the Lemons Factory was there. Well, they were the first house beside the Lemons Factory. But you did have a dairy farm, Dad. Would you mind telling me, what was Glasnevin like at that time? I mean, you weren't the only dairy farmers in Glasnevin. No, there was another dairy farmer, Martin, up the top of Botanic Avenue. We were the lower end of Botanic Avenue. But uh, we had 60 cows, three cow sheds, a manure pit, and a very big hay barn. You used to deliver milk. Uh, Not only deliver, you produced, distributed, and to about, what, about 80 customers in and around Glasnevin at that time? started at 80. So there was about 80 customers, and what you used to do was milk the cows and then sell the cows direct to the customers because there was no pasteurized... Sorry, sell the milk direct to the customers because there was no pasteurization back in those days. There was no middlemen. So you were producers, distributors, but you, you kept cattle. And where did you keep the cattle? We had three sheds at the back of the house in Botanic Avenue. And we kept 20 in each shed. We also had a manure, a manure pit and we had a horse and a cart, a little van that we bought in 1943, little Ford 500, and we delivered the milk with the two of them. 1943, I forgot to say, Mutar is 83 years of age. He was born in 1940, and he was born, I think it was the night they dropped, the Germans dropped bombs on Bullwall, so that'll put it in context. My dad was born at the beginning of the Second World War. So you're talking when he was a young fella in around Botanic Avenue, you're talking the end of the 40s, the early 50s. This is what Dublin was like back then. Da, ye, your father came up from Clare and they were kind of a little Clare mafia, I think is the right way to put it. And they bought a place, your your uncle, uh, and his name was Bolin, isn't that right? A relation of ours. They bought a house up near uh, the Bon Securus. What is that place? 
Beachment House in Glasnevin, beside the Bonscore Hospital. Actually, Beachment House actually owned it, the site for Bonscore Hospital, and they sold it to the nuns. My father came from County Clare, and he came up to Dublin, and he worked with his brother in a big shop that was called Boland's Shop, which was actually part of Beachment House. It had a huge long counter, old style. They sold ham, they sold everything. And my Uncle Jack delivered all the groceries around Glasnevin on a horse and four-wheel dray, and my father helped him. At some stage, your father put his eye on uh, a dairy, and the dairy was on Botanic Avenue, and there was no land with it now. There was a, a yard, there was sheds, and there was a house. But out of that, ye ran a dairy, isn't there? Your father ran a dairy. Yeah, there was also a shop attached to the house. And because we had to use coupons to buy all the food, then my father had a steady clientele. They couldn't go anywhere else. There was very few shops like that around the place. So they had to deal with my father. So this was the rationing. And this was the ration that went on a long time after the war. So once you had customers coming into your shop with the ration book, they were stuck to you, really. Oh, yes, they were. And uh, there was very little cash transacted. Uh, most people were on the book every week and they bought their groceries. And when their husbands got paid, they paid off the shop. And uh, it was a very good idea and people were very happy with it. At some stage, the the dairy far, the dairy yard became too small for the business isn't that that way and you went then and your father went and bought land uh, but just land no nothing else no property on it just land my father bought land out in the ward 60 acres a lovely farm nine fields and uh, we hadn't got a, a building on it so therefore we had to sell the place in botanic avenue to put the buildings on the farm but before you did that, you used to drive cattle in and out, didn't you? You used to, I mean, you used to drive cattle from the ward into the, into Smithfield. Am I right about that? Oh, yes. Uh, we had drovers, what they called drovers. And we had one particular drove called Paddy, who was very good. And he drove the cattle in from the ward into the market or into Botanic Avenue. And at the end of the winter, when the summer came, first of May, all the cows would go out to the ward. So I know just roughly off the top of my head that that's about a journey of nine, ten, miles. nine, nine miles. It's a journey of... So you used to drive cattle from Glasnevin, which is... And it's the Drumcondra end of Glasnevin, all the way out to the ward. And I was talking to a lady recently, and she told me that they, she used to hate going along Glasnevin because of the cow shed all over the ground. They might say they hate it. But when they'd be asking my father for about a week before the cows went out, when you letting the cows out, Mr. Mac, and he'd say, first of May, dear, and they'd all have their shovels and buckets and they'd be collecting the cowshit for the rose garden. So what was it like being a child in Botanic Avenue, Dar? Talca Park was the jungle, and we were kids. It was about 10 years of age. And you went up and played from the time you got up in the morning, especially during the summer, 
our dinner time at six o'clock, we played in the jungle. If you got a long stick, it was a rifle. And if you got a short one, it was a revolver. So we played all day that, barely coming home for food. But we eventually did. But um, it was a wonderful childhood. I don't ever remember anything nasty ever happening. The people in Botanic Avenue were, were great. You said you had your dinner at six. So was there a cultural difference then between ye and the ones you left in Clare who had their dinner in the middle of the day? Well, we couldn't have our dinner in the middle of the day because my father had to work hard and he did work very hard for many, many years. And he became a fairly wealthy man, thank God. And we were well looked after. But people didn't have any money, so... I'll tell you something. We used to go to the the drum, we call it, Drum Condra Cinema. We'd go on a Thursday to see the film. There's a special film on for kids. But we had one pal who never had a cent called Ructions. And he had big red hair and a lovely, lovely lad. And we loved him. But he'd no money to get into the cinema. So we used to try and open the fire doors and disrupt the usherettes to keep them busy while Ructions crawled in the door. But of course, you'd see Ructions' hair a mile away because he was a big lad. But that was life. That was the way things were. And we accepted that. I bought you some carbolic soap there last year because I remember you telling me that the one thing you, you, you were paranoid about was the smell of cattle off you. And you all used to use carbolic soap to try and get rid of the smell. But the young ones in the iron or wherever else they were, they used to know that if you smelled of carbolic soap, you were a farmer's son. Am I right about that? Well, I went to the National, which was the place I liked to go. The girls knew immediately that you had something to do with animals because you couldn't really get the... I milked the cows, so you couldn't really get the smell off you no matter how much aftershave you put on. But anyway, they were mostly country girls that went to the National. And that's that's the way the way it was. But we still managed to get a few. I'm laughing at you saying country girls because all my life you've never accepted that you're dope. Even though you're born, bred and buttered in Dublin, to you you're always Clare. But you weren't born in Clare. Yeah, I, I died in the wool dope. Absolute, aren't you? I was born in the Rotunda Hospital in 1940. I was only seven months and I was kept in the hospital for six months after I was born. I nearly died a few times, but I'm still here. And uh, uh, they were very good for the time that it was in it. I don't know how I did live, but that's the way life went. Tell me about this house that was down beside the bond secures. Now, that was... Your uncle Boyland, Boland bought that and it was used as a hope for you that came up from, for your father and, and his brothers that came up from Clare. But before that, there was a whole generation that had emigrated, your, your father's brothers and sisters, and he'd never met some of them. But for some reason, in and around the 1940s, and I presume it's because of the war, emigration had stopped and people had no choice but to try and make do. So they moved up from the country and it became like a little Clare enclave in the middle of, uh, in, in the middle of Drumcondra in around there. But the men that lived there, including your father and your uncle, they all went on to buy land out in the north county of Dublin. And that's why they were all city farmers. Like there's the Melvilles, the McMahons. Who else is there? The Boylans. Who else is there? There was Martins. 
we were the bottom of the road and they were at the top of the road. But there were two dairymen and they did the same as us. They delivered milk around the place. But we kind of got some conda as our clients, which was a good way to get it. But um, it just happened. Uh, I loved being a child. It was lovely. People were very friendly. There was no such thing as a lock on the door. That wouldn't be here tell of. I went in and so did other kids. And, of course, we got bread and jam. And I went to one particular hour and she gave me bread and jam and I'd spill me bloody guts. And then my mother would have me <laughs> life when I come on. What did you tell that hour one? It sounds like it was a nice place to grow up. But Dublin was much smaller then. I mean, you were literally, that was the outskirts of Dublin at that stage. It was just the, the outskirts was the, was the Talca. The Talca was behind us. Uh, directly behind us. And in 1954, the Tolka flooded and the yard flooded and we had to deliver the milk by horse and cart. And there's a video somewhere of me delivering the milk and going through the flood in the cart with a huge big raincoat bigger than myself. But we did it and we had to deliver the milk twice a day, in the morning and in the evening. So the yard was flooded and all the yard had about three or four feet of water and my father had the front gates closed and I said to him, Dad, try opening the gates and see what happens. We opened the gate and what happened with the bloody, all the water that was in the yard flowed out into the front where the river was after going down in front of our house and the yard was as dry as snuff after so you were able to get back to work at that. And at some stage, uh, you were going to school. What school did you go to? I went to Vincent's, St. Vincent's, God bless the world, where the brothers were. And I won't go into it anymore except to say all the savages weren't dead. Now, Tony likes to go for a drink in the diggers. And, and he, he makes out, oh, the diggers is the place to be. But you went to school with the man who owned the diggers. I'm going to write about that. You were pals. He was my best pal, and he owned the Diggers pub. And when I got older, I went to the Diggers for it was in Prospect Square, and the ones that were his clients were the grave diggers, and then that was no joke. They were the clients of that pub, along with a lot of the people that lived in the area. But that was really a nice place, and the lad who ran it after his father, lovely lad, and I think he's only dead a few years now. But I'm still here. There was a couple of pubs around that area that were famous. Fagan's is another one that was famous. And, and I know, because you've told me, my grandfather used to like a, a pint and a small one in Fagan's. But that was his limit, was a pint and a small one. Isn't that it? It was his limit, all right, until one Christmas Eve, the lads that worked for me, father, they persuaded him to have a few more. And I'm afraid it didn't agree with him too well. So he never went out for Christmas with the lads again because he couldn't believe it had such a bad effect on you. Yeah, my granddad was kind of your your old Irish man, you know, very stoic, uh, religious man, didn't drink much, didn't smoke, hard grafter. You know, he was a hard grafter. I mean, they started with nothing and he built up a reasonable farm, you know, and he, he was a decent man, hardworking man all his life. But him and Granny was kind of an arranged, we won't say arranged in the old sense, but they knew they were going to marry each other and the families had come from the same parish. So there was a bit of the old mafiosa going on there, wasn't there? My father was about 24, 25, and uh, 
my uncle Mick, who, who was my mother's brother, was a matchmaker. And he arranged for my mother, when she came back for America for a holiday, to meet my father. And the arrangement was that mother would go back to America to earn more money. And she did. They got engaged before she went back and she came back in three years later and they married. And where did they marry? In the wooden church up in Botanic Avenue. And the reception was had in Beachfront House in the orchard. And there's a lovely picture at home of the two of them on their wedding day. And my God, were they stylish. God bless them. Now, for those who don't know, the orchard is now the Bond Secure Hospital. That's right. That's, it is the Bond Secure. And we, we can't figure out, did, did uh, my great uncle gift it to the Bonds or sell it to the Bonds? But they've kept the facade of that old house there. It's still there to this day. And it has such a kind of a an anchor for our family because that's where my dad's people really settled in Dublin. That's where they all got their foothold in Dublin. When Dublin started to get a bit bigger, did the, did the dairy get bigger with it? Oh, yes, we got big. We we got very big. Uh, and then uh, it got too big for my father. He was getting older. So we sold our business to the Merville Dairy and we just put in the milk into the Merville and they they distributed the milk. Now, Martin asked me a few minutes ago, why did I consider myself from Clare? Well, I went down to Clare every year from the time I was able to, went down on the train and stayed with my Uncle Joe in Curra Clare, County Clare. And I loved it. Of course, there was no such thing as being allowed to wear shoes in County Clare. You kicked them off. And you went out with the rest of the lads that there was no shoes. But we had a whale of a time. And I believed, I still believe, that I love Clare, I suppose, the best place apart from Dublin. Did they see you as a Jack when you went down in Clare as a young fellow? Was there that distinction? Were you a Jack down from the the big smoke? No, I was family. That was it. Once you were related, you were family. And there was no exception. I enjoyed it. They enjoyed me. I was on a farm, of course. My uncle had a farm. That's where we spent our time for six weeks in the summer. And when I came back and went to school, winter. But I would probably say I got all the good things from Claire. Well, I slag you a bit. Uh, I say you were the first man to have a horse in the garden. But that's not really true. You had a horse in the yard in the back. But there was a use for the horse. And you had a dray as well. And there was a use. Well, it wasn't a dray. It was a cart, really. A horse and cart. It's a special dray. It was a special dray, and you had two big churns. There were 17 gallons, and underneath the churns is a five-gallon can with a spout on it. And that's how we delivered the milk. There was a measurement, a point measurement, hanging on the spout. You went to a door, and she brought out her jug or her tin, and you measured in the point or the two points, whatever. And my father would give a tilly. Now... The way he gave the tilly was he'd pour the point in sideways as, a, as real quick as he could. And then the, the next minute he'd throw a tilly and everybody thought they were getting a bit more than a point. So everybody was happy. But we had to go then on a Saturday and collect the money for the milk, which was a big job, mind you, in them days because people didn't have money. There was people were generally very good, but there was a few that kind of it was on the book and it was on the book for a long time and sometimes. But when my father 
quit the dairy delivering the milk himself after 38 years delivering milk. He went out, he was owed 60 pounds between all the customers. And he went out the first day and he collected 30. And then he went out the next Saturday and he collected 20. And I said to him, Dad, do you not think after this length of time, you have enough? God, we can't go out anymore. Ah, he says, I suppose we leave it at that. Your ma was softer on people, wasn't she? She was softer if people didn't have money. Your dad was, you know, he was a businessman. He had to be. But your ma was soft enough, wasn't she? As you see, my mother had two books. She had the general book where people bought their groceries and she put down the things. But then my mother had a little book under the counter where her special clients who wouldn't be well off and she knew they had maybe awkward husbands and they didn't get they drank it and betted on it. So when we finished the business and everything else, didn't we? Father find the little book under it. And he said, Margaret, what the hell is this? She says, mind your own bloody business. It's been my business for all the years. And she was good to people in the area. You know, she did. She did look out for them. But as a kid growing up, there were other people, characters around the area. Do you remember any of the characters that lived in the area? Ah, there were fellows that went to Fagel's pub and they, they went from the pub to the betting office and they never gave their wives a halfpenny. And... There's a story, one woman, I won't give you her name, but the husband died suddenly anyway. Now, he had a very good job, but he drank and bet the whole lot of it. She was standing up there watching him going down, and she says, do you know what? She had a load of kids, maybe 10 or 11. I'm going to buy myself a new knickers. I suppose it was hard times, Dad. People didn't have a lot of money. And as you said, cash didn't change hands all that much. Bills were settled once a week or once a month or whatever people had to settle them. It was tight enough times. Was it a, a happier time, you think, than it is now? Absolutely, because nobody had any money. Nobody had any notions of grandeur. I, I, I think we were the first to get a, a public telephone in the hall for the use of the people that came into the shop and ourselves. And my father got a few back out of it. Not much. I remember somebody else getting the first television and I remember all us lads going and knocking at the door and saying, could we have a look at the television? So that's how there was nothing there. There was, uh, We didn't have anything. We made our own amusement and that was it. And I think there were great times for kids because they used their imagination. And by God, did I have a good imagination. Well, the Lemons Factory was right beside you and, and the Lemons Factory is gone now. There's an estate, but I'm, I am just about old enough to remember the Lemons Factory. But as kids, you used to be begging sweets off the girls working in the factory. Was that, you know, that, that went on a lot, didn't it? Well, no, you see... We used to paint the sheds every year. We'd be up on the roof of the sheds with the result that the girls could be up on the roof of the factory and they'd throw sweets across the river. Well, sometimes they landed in the river. But we got a good few sweets. But, you know, we tried to get a few dates, but that wasn't happening. But there you are. That happened too. <laughs> yeah, it's a, you know, people forget that there was a huge business there and it was, I mean, Lemon Sweets was run out of there. It was a huge, huge business. Uh, when you went working for the dairy, did you come in from all the way from the ward in as far as Finglas and collect milk in urns? Well, what happened was I started my own uh, cow business when I was 16 
And by the time I was about 19, I had 16 cows. So I rented land about four miles from Fingness. And I milked my own cows and I sent the milk into Merville Dairy uh, with my father's milk. So we brought up our own businesses together. And uh, I did that for a long time. So that's the way it was. And it was all about heads of cattle, wasn't it? It was about, it wasn't so much about the land because everybody rented the land at that stage. You know, that's what made you city farmers. You weren't landowners. You were city farmers. But it was about the head of cattle. How many, how many head of cattle you had? That was kind of the mark of how well you were doing. How many head of cattle did your father have? Well, he had 40 and I finished up with 20. And we had them in the ward, uh, the two of us. And then everything was run from the ward because we had no longer got the house on Botanic Avenue. But um, we had to build a, a bungalow first, uh, we had to build a hay shed, and we had to build all the things, the cow sheds and all that we needed. But, I mean, it was a lovely place. I loved the farm. And in the end, after years, I was an auctioneer, and I sold the farm for my father. I do remember that. I was only a young fella at the time, but I remember the farm. And I do remember the farm. But I remember even even into his old age, long after Granny had died, my granddad was always a farmer. And he would take off for a hike down the fields. And you'd be hard pushed to keep up with him. I mean, the man knew how to walk, but he also grew all kinds. I mean, his garden wasn't a garden. It was a vegetable patch. He never stopped being a farmer. My poor father had a lovely, I suppose near a half an acre of a vegetable plot behind the bungalow and he grew everything and he actually supplied me and my sisters with potatoes and vegetables and unfortunately three weeks before he died he had a heart attack in the drills and he rang me and or I don't know he had an emergency button on his chest and I knew there was something wrong and I found him in the drills and I'm afraid that was the last time he was ever in the ward because he was taken off to hospital. But he also had a, a stroke that day. So that was the end of his life. But he was only three weeks sick and he was 93 years of age. And a good, strong Irishman, Catholic, that's it. That was his life. I remember talking to my granddad and saying to him about, you know, he'd, he'd lived through, like my dad was born at the beginning of the war. So my granddad was, you know, a young fella knocking around a young fella, you know, 20 years before that. So I asked him about, you know, what about politics, granddad? Because he never gave me any view on politics. And I presume being small farmers, they were all kind of Fianna Fáil fellas back then. And I kind of presumed he was. And he said to me, look, I've had... This fella in the kitchen, that fella in the kitchen, these are, he says, they only look after their own. He says, you have to look after your own, he says, because these politicians don't give a shite about you. And I think he's right. And he was one of those men that didn't rely on anybody. He just went and did it himself. But I think they did really well coming up from Clare. And they didn't have a pot to piss in coming up from Clare. What they did have was... Two and six, and they had family connections. They had Boylan's there in Glasnevin. And from that, they grew to be quite big farmers. I mean, most of North County Dublin are, parts of North County Dublin are owned by, farmed by my relatives still, the, the, the Melvilles, and, and there's quite a few others out there. But they all loved the dairy. The dairy was the thing. What was the attraction of the dairy? The attraction of the dairy was cash money. Because when you sold the milk, you got paid in cash. And 
he had the cash business and my father's shop was a cash business. So we were in it at the right time and the right time of life, I suppose. And then, of course, in Drumcondor, the first supermarket open was pay and take. And that was open. That was instead of the Drumcondra cinema where we went to the pictures all our lives and pay and take was the building that replaced it which I think was a shame. Jeez, I thought Northside was the first shop. You're talking about the... Oh, Northside was the first mall. You're talking about the first, first shopping centre. Yeah, it was the first shop. Yeah, it was the first shop. Ah, yeah, yeah, because Northside was the first mall. And we, knew, and we knew Northside well as well. We did know Northside well. But the one thing my father couldn't understand was pay and take open, say, on a Monday. And by Friday, he had no clients. And then they had to pay cash for everything. But he was saying, how the hell did I have to put it on a book for them for years? And they could go down the next week and buy cash. So we closed the shop. It was really rationing, wasn't that it? It was the rationing, uh, you, you know, you had to stick with a shop with the rationing. Once the rationing was lifted, then people could go and shop. And of course, there was a little bit more money once rationing was lifted up until that time it was tight enough I mean a lot of stuff came down from the north we won't even talk about that but we know a lot of stuff you wouldn't get butter in Dublin bar you got it up north and that's how things went at the time but it was the end of the rationing that finished that little business in Botanic Avenue wasn't it? Well of course we were related we had relations very close relations in the north of Ireland and we were very lucky there could be a bit of butter coming one way and a few apples going the other you know but that was the way things were run them days. But I would honestly say that was the end of the small shops in Dublin. The, the time was over for them. No more ration books. They didn't have to go to. could go anywhere. They were a bit better off. And I'm glad they're better off. And they're still better off. Duh. We're heading into Christmas. This will be your 83rd Third. Christmas, you know, and the two of us are falling apart bit by bit. That's that's the way life goes, <laughs> falling apart bit by bit. What are you looking forward to? Tell me the things that you're looking forward to in your life. Well, I'm very lucky because I, unfortunately, am a dialysis patient, have been for the last three and a half years. That causes a lot of problems in my life for the last three and a half years. But we go from day to day. I have a very, very good wife called Anne. And she looks after me very, very well. And I, I, I would be destroyed without her. I say goodbye now. Thank you very much. Thanks, Dad, for coming on and doing this podcast with me. Just to remind you, um, this podcast relies on the, the good faith of others. So you'll pay it forward. Tortoiseshack.ie. Become a patron. Thanks for listening. And uh, thanks for doing this podcast with me. Tony and Martin, Martin and Tony, speaking to interesting people only. It's the Echo Chamber Podcast. Subscribe now on Patreon.